Chapter 19 of Among the Great Masters of the Drama. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Aaron Stone. Among the Great Masters of the Drama by Walter Rollins. Charlotte Cushman. Salve Regina. Art and song, dismissed by thee, shall miss thee long, and keep thy memory green, our most illustrious queen. R. H. Stoddard Of all the characters assumed by Charlotte Cushman, Hamlet and Romeo, Rosalind and Beatrice, Bianca and Mrs. Holler, Lady Macbeth and Queen Catherine, Nancy Sykes and Meg Marillias, the last named is probably the one with which her name will be most associated with in the public mind. Miss Emma Stebbins, Charlotte Cushman's intimate friend and biographer, gives the following account of the character. She says, It may not be inappropriate to recall some remembrances of the part which more than any other is identified with her name, and may be said to have been her own special creation, that of Meg Marillias. I have sought in vain among the newspaper files of the period for the absolute date of her first performance of this character, but other evidence settles it as having been in the year 1840-41, during Brahms' first and only engagement in New York and at the Park Theatre. Her own account of it may be mentioned that there is one very ancient newspaper cutting, which is, however, without name or date, in which the fact of her assumption of the part at a moment's notice is thus alluded to. Many years ago, Miss Charlotte Cushman was doing at the Park Theatre what in stage parlance is called general utility business, that is, the work of three ordinary performers filling the gap when anyone is sick, playing one's part and the others on occasion, never refusing to do whatever allotted to her. As may be supposed, one who held this position had as yet no position to be proud of, one night, Guy Mannering, a musical piece, was announced. It was produced by Mr. Brom, the great English tenor, who played Harry Betram. Mrs. Chippendale was cast for Meg Merlias, but during the day was taken ill, so this obscure utility actress, this Miss Cushman, was sent for and told to be ready in the part by the night. She might read it on the boards if she could not commit it. But the utility woman was not used to reading her parts. She learned it before nightfall, and played it after nightfall. She played it so as to be enthusiastically applauded. At this half-day's notice, the part was taken up which is now so famous among dramatic portraitures. It was in consequence of Mrs. Chippendale's illness that she was called upon the very day of the performance to assume the part. Study, dress, etc. had to be an inspiration of the moment. She had never especially noticed the part, as it had been heretofore performed. There was not probably much to attract her, but as she stood at the side scene, book in hand, awaiting her moment of entrance, her ear caught the dialogue going upon the stage between two of the gypsies, in which one says to the other, alluding to her, Meg, why she is no longer what she was, she dotes, etc., evidently giving the impression that she is no longer to be feared or respected, that she is no longer in her right mind. With the words, a vivid flash of insight struck upon her brain. 
she saw and felt by the powerful dramatic instinct with which she was endowed the whole meaning and intention of the character, and no doubt from that moment it became what it never ceased to be, a powerful, original, and consistent conception in her mind. She gave herself, with her usual concentrated energy of purpose, to this conception, and flashed at once upon the stage in the startling, weird, and terrible manner which we all so well remember. On this occasion, it so astonished and confounded Mr. Brom, little accustomed heretofore to such manifestations, that he went to her after the play to express his surprise and his admiration. I had not thought that I had done anything remarkable, she says, and when the knock came at my dressing room door, and I heard Brom's voice, my first thought was, now what have I done? He is surely displeased with me about something. For in those days I was only the utility actress, and had no prestige of position to carry me through. Imagine my gratification when Mr. Brahm said, Miss Cushman, I have come to thank you for the most veritable sensation I have experienced for a long time. I give you my word, when I turned and saw you in that first scene, I felt a cold chill run all over me. Where have you learned to do anything like that? From this time, the part of Meg grew and strengthened. Meg, behind the scenes, was quite as remarkable as before them. It was a study for an artist, and has been so to many, to witness the process of preparation for this notable character, the makeup, as they call it in the parlance of the theater, a regular, systematic, and thoroughly artistic performance, wrought out with the same instinctive knowledge which was so manifest in all she did. Miss Cushman, a distinguished lady artist, once said to her, as she wonderingly watched the process whereby the weird hag grew out of the pleasant and genial lineaments of the actress. How do you know where to put in those shadows and make those lines which so accurately give the effect of age? I don't know, was the answer. I only feel where they ought to come. The costume of Meg is another subject upon which much of the interest might be written, how it gradually grew, as all artistic things must, from the strangest materials. A bit picked up here, another there, seemingly a mass of incoherent rags and tatters, but full of method and meaning. Every scrap of it put together with reference to antecedent experiences. The wind, the storm, the outdoor life of hardship, the tossing and tampering it had received through its long warnings, and which, to an artist's eye, is beyond price, seemingly a bundle of rags, and yet a royal garment, for the truly queenly character of the old gypsy ennobled every thread of it. How many of those who felt this quality in the wearer noticed how the battered headdress was arranged in vague and shadowy semblance to a crown? the gnarled and twisted branch she carried, suggesting the emblem of command? End of chapter 19